thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, Ryan. Good to talk to you today. Good to talk to you today as well. And today we are returning to our genre series, our Hollywood genre series. As a reminder, there were seven classical Hollywood What were genres. those, Ryan? Wow, well, thanks, thanks for, for putting that one on a plate for me. Uh, the musical, The Screwball. The sci-fi, the gangster film, the horror, the western, and the melodrama, and I did write those down so you didn't hear me fumble on air what they were, but now since I have mentioned that, it has taken as long as it would have if I had been fumbling. So those were the seven classical genres. Today we're talking about the western, and it is hard to overstate exactly how popular this genre was during the, uh, uh, particularly the um, the code era, but a little bit before the code ends. Uh, I mean, I would yep. say probably into the mid fifties. Uh, right. So the code ends in 68 officially, even though it had a period of petering out largely to do with uh, Hitchcock and, and, and he, Kubrick and, and Kubrick. Kubrick. Yeah. What they could, could get away with and, uh, yeah. and, 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 and extract from around the edges of, uh, of the code. But so uh, hard to overstate exactly how popular this was. And one of the things that we talked about last time uh, is how do you talk about something that is popular? How do you extract something theoretical out of the popular? And that was one of the things we were talking about with, um, with Sartre and the critique of dialectical reason. And one of the things that um, he does not allow for in his theory and that uh, we were trying to position that as one of the things which leads him down uh, certain alleys that become dead ends and uh, something that we on this on this show and in our writing and just in the way that we see media in general uh, that we believe very heartily is that like n- nothing is like self identical nothing is self identical to the intention as we as as we like to put it you know pe- do you think people always do things for the reasons they think they do them of course you don't nobody thinks that like and and you know that about yourself which means it's the same about other people and in artistic creation nothing is self-identical to the intention of the people who are making it even in something like as as structured as the hollywood studio system and there was really nothing that was more structured than the western now of course there are problematic elements of the western deeply problematic elements so this makes i think the task even more difficult how do you extract something theoretical even radical out of uh, a genre like this so We're sort of stacking the the deck against ourselves, but I think I think we've got I think we've got yeah, got some, I think got some be things okay. to say. Yeah. So I want to start with a little bit a little bit of history of the Western, and I know you've got some things to wow our listeners with, which with a uh, uh, how popular and and widespread the Western was, um, and also we're going to start by talking about and then, um, in. I, I, uh, fairly, I, I, I'm going to say a, a just critique of one of the paragons of uh, of, of Western uh, cinema. That is true. That so is that's true. how we're going to begin. So, Todd, I'm going to kick it to you. Give, give give us some context. Give me some context. So, right. So between so there were many many silent westerns. In fact, what is arguably the first longer narrative film? It was still a short film. It wasn't a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Great Train Robbery was a Western. So the Western mm-hmm. has a long history in silent cinema as well. But but in the in the sound in the talky era, they that from so so from 1927 to about 1956, which is an important date in the history of the Western, 
about little little under three westerns per week. So we think we're suffocating on per week, right? So we think we're suffocating on the superhero film. Right. Imagine how people felt about the western. But I think that one of the things was that it functioned for them like the superhero film does for us, obviously. But also, it was the it was the there were no action films in that era, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it really did a lot of work, like of the things that we like today, basically two important genres, the action film and the superhero film. And those, mm-hmm. of course, overlap. I think that, that that's what was involved in the Western and people found it, the Western, enjoyable uh, for that reason. And also, I think there was a nostalgia in the Western. and 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 uh, But also, don't you think, and this is what we'll get to when we talk about it, there were certain things that were visible to be made as an object of critique that are no mm. longer visible. This is what you said to me a while ago, and I think this is a really good point. And I think so there's a way in which the disappearance of the Western, while it's tied to certain political things that we we would be happy that are no longer an issue, but I think mm-hmm. it also is there's certain things that are maybe problematic about the, its disappearance as a genre. And it, it, it didn't really... I think the only thing it translated into really, well, I think two different things maybe we'll talk about. One is the superhero film, Mm -hmm. which is maybe obvious because the Western hero has that same extra legal status as the superhero. Uh, But there's another one that we'll talk about later. But anyway, so Mm -hmm. we're starting with John Ford, who is the the main figure of the Western. And interestingly, so Ford won, he, he won most Best Director Oscar awards. He won four times. But he never won for the genre he was most well-known for. So he never won for the Western, which is kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he, he basically, his, you could almost say his film's bookend. The, so the film, the first film we're going to talk about, Stagecoach, is 1939. So it's not the beginning of the, of the sound era. But, but then his, the second film we're going to talk about, The Searchers, is 1956. And that does kind of end the classical... Western epoch. So, so Ford stands in a way at the beginning and end and is the paradigmatic director so much so that someone asked Orson Welles, uh, can you name your three favorite directors? And Welles goes, the old masters by which I mean, John Ford, John Ford, and John Ford. So (laughs) that's amazing. uh, I know it's amazing because (laughs) Welles, uh, is a pretty sharp guy and and yeah. is never wrong. But in this case, no. I think maybe he was wrong. So uh, well, we'll start with that. Okay, Todd, Todd, do you think that he perhaps was having a little bit of a Paul Masson wine when he <laughs> made that? He made that claim. <laughs> I think he might have. He might have uh, been. Yeah. Maha yeah. the no. French champagne. All right, I'm not going to do that thing. <laughs> but he um, does. He does claim that. Um, he watched Stagecoach a hundred times to get ready for Citizen Kane. And I think you can see it. I think the reason why he said he loved Ford so much is because of the way that Ford constructs a scene and, Mm. and especially the way that he uses, makes the mise-en-scene into a character within the scene. I think that he loved shooting in Monument Valley and he, he would make that into its own, like it would have a really, uh, it would be such this, it, it's like a, it's a, it reminds me a little bit, although the scenery is vastly different of the Hudson River Valley painters, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the way that the human beings in their paintings are so small and just insignificant. And I think 
Ford, that's one of the things that he was up to with the Western. Like the, the scenery is so humongous mm. and the the people are really small in comparison. I think that's one of the things that he's thinking about thematically too, right? Like, and I think yeah. that's well, one thing I, that Wells we just, liked about him. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I want to just stop on this because I think this is, it's a easy to, easy to brush past, um, but uh, just talk a little bit about mise-en-scene. Per, there is, I guarantee there is someone who's hearing this for the first time. That and term, so, yes. That yes. term. And so it's uh, usually translated into English as uh, what is what is shown. So it's a French phrase, but that doesn't, what does that even tell you? So what the idea of uh, mise-en-scene, this is like a, a, a formalist conception of film and the implicit argument, I'm really, really happy that you made this connection to the Hudson uh, River Valley painters. The, the, the implicit claim, uh, I mean, even like I, the connection to painters is implicit, but the claim that, that I'm about to get to is explicit is that every frame of a film is like, has the, uh, the depth and, uh, it, I don't know, interest and in, uh, weight uh, as of a, as a painting, right. which is why one of the great, uh, now sadly defunct YouTube channels, uh, was called every frame of painting, uh, which is really, really great. If you're, uh, interested in like, the, I, I think that's a very, I don't think they would say this about themselves, but it's a very formalist uh, YouTube film channel. But so that's the that's the claim. So like you pause and 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 this would be on top of not just the that it it it, it, it has the uh, like the the detail or the, or the or the weight or the dignity of a painting, but that you should be as a a film should be constructed in such a way that you could pause almost any frame and get something out of it that is not that is not just making meaning in that scene but is uh has wider thematic importance across the entire film and i think that's the that's the idea that's the idea the the theory behind mise-en-scene like and and hitchcock was so great at this like you know it um is a part of what makes Vertigo so great is that if you've never seen it before and then you watch it and then you watch it again, you're like, holy crap, the mirrors, they're in like the beginning of the movie, right. like the red, the green, like it's just, it's everywhere. And like the, the, the shots in profile and like the, the, like the, the, the way that, uh, the, 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 the bun and the hair, like, you know, there's just so, there's so many things that like you can notice first time, but like when you watch it again, like it, it carries this like extra weight of significance. And that's like, that's the idea of, of mise-en-scene that a film should right. be constructed in such a way that like you pause it randomly and you're looking at, uh, frames that have the depth of a painting and that carry some thematic weight for the film as a whole. And I think right. that it's, I think this is a, this is absolutely is what, um, uh, Wells thought was valuable in Ford. And I think like, even though you and I are about to, we're, uh, we're, we're doing the, um, so a long time, a long time ago, um, to have an alienating sports example, uh, because Terry Francona was the coach of the Boston Red Sox and they hadn't won a world series in 86 years. Whenever anyone was going to criticize him on Boston radio, they had to do like a minute and a half preamble acknowledging, but like how great he was before they could get to something toward the end of his career, they were going to be critical about, I think maybe John Ford deserves the same bit of preamble. Like we've been, we've right, been giving right. it, um, I, th- this, I also find valuable, like what F- Ford, and Ford and form, I think, is like where uh, that's where the good stuff is. Like um, when yeah. I watched stage, Stagecoach in um, in preparation for this episode, I told you I did this thing because I had this sense that like, you know, this film was moving like like constantly. It's a little bit like uh, North by Northwest in this like film that has like constant motion to it. And so I just just to test it, I did this like um, 
I, I, I took the slider on the, uh, on, on the, um, uh, I don't know what, what you call it. Like the, the video player on, on, on my yep. computer. And I just like, I moved it not as fast as I could. So it got to the end really quickly, but just like as slowly and as fastly as I could just to like s- see the film move. And it is like the, the, when you do something like this, you can see how like, uh, you can see how almost of like of, of equal length. A lot of the set pieces are like when he's, yeah. when, when anyone is anywhere in this movie and that there is like this constant, like left to right motion in the film. Like they're always going somewhere up to the end of the movie when the, uh, you know, the, the, the principal characters are on the horse uh, drawn like the carriage and they, they like, exit uh, stage right yeah. um, to, to end, to end the film. Like it's like, so you could see what someone like Wells, who is like a, a, just a great, uh, technician of the of the frame and 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 just a uh, like a, so thoughtful about form like what he could extract from exactly form. exactly yeah. Ryan yeah it's exactly true and I think you know in Stagecoach the other thing that I think is really great and he, he does this in Searchers too is that the main event happens and we don't we never see it. Right, like, mm, the, yeah. like the main yeah. event in Stagecoach is the cavalry. I mean, it's, it's such a cliche. It's a cliche because of John Ford. The cavalry here comes the cavalry. Right. Uh, the cavalry comes to the rescue, and we hear the bugle of the cavalry sound not when we're looking at the bugler, but mm. when we're looking at the woman about to be shot in the head by the guy that wants to preserve her from being raped by the natives that are attacking yeah. the stagecoach. Yeah. Which, okay, we've already you already. People will we see the exact get... problem, right? Yeah, yeah, you see uh, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and that's not thought of as a terrible thing he's about to do, but rather he's, right. he's right. saving her. But but the, you hear the bugler, and then later you see the cavalry. And I think it's also in Searchers, we don't see the, again, it's the native attack on the on the yep. white family, right? Instead, we, 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 we're, we, we get the experience of, of John Wayne going, uh, Ethan Edwards saying, Oh no, they've drawn us out here. And mm-hmm. then that's the, and then that's when the attack takes like, so you, you never, every time it, the main event is for Ford always depicted as an absence within the visual field. So I think it's fascinating that on the one hand he fills up like mise-en-scene is so important to him, right? Like mm-hmm. for the reasons you said, it's thematically important. It's, like every element in the scene is has a value to it, even the setting, the mm-hmm. way the I was thinking when you were talking about Hitchcock, of course Hitchcock, but Ozu too, right? Like the way mm-hmm. the characters mm-hmm. yeah. are positioned within yeah. the scene is so important. Uh and I, I think that the that that for uh for Ford, like the the the, the oh, that's really important. But what I really the, the thing I like most about him is that what's not there actually has for him an equal weight. And I wonder yeah, if for Wells, nice. that might've been something that he've also thought of. Mm, that's pretty good. And I think that's a pretty good, like, like, you know, I, I'm, uh, to, to be, to be consistent with things, uh, that, that I've said elsewhere on the, on the podcast. And I mean, in my writing is like, I do think, I do think form matters more than content that we pay too, too much attention to, uh, to, to content at times. So the, uh, all the, all this, uh, this like, the formal 
uh, take on Ford, I think is uh, like is well worth it. I think that you're you're right about like what's not in the frame. This is even something that's like in uh, in Shane, which we're going to talk about um, in a follow up episode, not in this one, that's but in Shane, right. like one of the climactic moments is this fight between. Um, uh, Van Helsing, I'm kidding, Van Heflin, <laughs> and um, I've, I don't know now because I made that joke, I don't remember the actor who played Alan Shane. Ladd. Alan. Al, thank you, Alan, Alan Ladd. Um, they get in a fight like because what Shane is trying to do in this film is trying to save the um, Van Heflin character from... Uh, He's gonna go get. He's gonna get killed. Go get killed, right? And and right. only only Shane can really like get out of this because he is smart enough to know the movie's named after him. So <laughs> the so but he but they get in a fight and um for I want to say about thirty seconds you don't see the fight clearly. What you you're inside right. the house and it's your your view is blocked behind the kid and uh and Marion the 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 mother. Um, and there you get these shots inside the barn. It's like the whole, it's, it's very like, uh, it's very Shakespearean. And that like the fact that these two characters are, 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 are fighting is, is upsetting the, the natural order of the world. Like, because like the animal, the, the, the cows are bucking the, uh, the yeah. pen that they're in and this whole, th- anyway, so you don't, you don't see the fight. You see kind of what's around it because, yeah. you know, the, the it, it just makes such a, like a nice point. And I think like a point that's like it, like in, concert with with something that that ford would do it's like it's actually the surrounding context of it that's important it's it's actually it's just two guys wailing on each other and there's really like only so interesting you can make that especially when these two people are friends so right you know right and then when you see the effect on others that's what makes it interesting right exactly Exactly. i think that's really i think you're right and ford does that so well i think and i but let's get to what is let's, going let's on ditch, let's, let's ditch this guy's content todd come yeah, on let's, let's cut let's yeah. cut to the quick well i think <laughs> this is this this will be the bridge i think because yeah. what the what the western does i think is that it shows the origin of law like how does law mm-hmm. get instilled installed like how does it get formed and and mm-hmm. and it and it does that by showing depicting a struggle between someone who's trying to institute law in a situation of lawlessness. And mm-hmm. the problem is that it's who who gets to represent lawlessness, right? And, yeah. and in the case yeah. of Ford, lawlessness is represented by the figure of the native, right? And I think, yeah. and, and it's interesting, so stagecoach people are, I think there's a general consensus that there's, there's a, it's, there's a problem with, is a racist depiction because mm-hmm. there's no characterization of the native figures whatsoever. They mm-hmm. just are pure threat to the yeah. people on the stagecoach. And then they're just mowed down with utter impunity. And there's no, we don't feel bad that they're killed. We're, we're like, get them, right? If you're, I mean, yeah. I didn't feel that way, but as that's the position of the spectator position that the film is putting you in, right? Yeah. So, right, right, right. So I think that's the, to me, that's the problem with Ford. And I think, interestingly, so people, Searchers gets a lot of praise. Like Martin Scorsese says of Searchers that it's the film that shows that our attitude toward Native Americans is racist and Ford's really critiquing. Okay, I guess. Uh, yeah. And there's a there's some critique of the Ethan Edwards, John Wayne character who's really openly right. But the problem is that it's still the same and this is where the form is is interesting, right? Like it's still a formal question because it's the mm-hmm. it's the structure of the narrative form. It's still in the position of this the, the native figure is still in the position of the of lawlessness that has yeah. to be 
domesticated by the Western hero who who then can't. And I think ser- people love searchers because it does such a good job of showing how that Western hero has to be exiled. Like they 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 bring back, reconstitute the law or constitute the law, and then they have to be exiled because they're they're not fit for for they're, because they're a, they're a, an extra legal force mm-hmm. that creates the law. I mean, it's really. It's almost like pure Agamben, right? Like so, Agamben's theory yeah. of, of 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 the law is that that there's this sovereign force that institutes the law, but it is always outside of the law. And I think that's kind of what the Western shows. Although this, you know, Ethan Edwards isn't the sovereign, mm. but but he still is this extra legal force necessary to constitute the law. And then right. for for Agamben, that figure always haunts the law subsequently. Mm-hmm. But I think I think in the Western, that figure has to be just exiled. And I think in, in Stagecoach, John Wayne just drives off with a prostitute who's also an extra legal <laughs> figure. Right? They're just going to go off and who, they're going to go to his ranch in Mexico, which is, you know, the, for the film, it's the other side of the world, right? It's outside of the yeah. legal society that's constituted. So I don't know. I, so I think that's the real, it's because of the structural position that the native figures are put in. I think that's where the racism lies. And that's why I think Searchers maybe isn't that much of a great improvement on Stagecoach in terms of the question of racism. Yeah, I think it's it, it's really interesting, Todd. Like the, the I, I think Ford, so certain, so um, to make the example or to make the jump back to the superhero film, which we also did an episode on. And uh, one of the things we talked about is that about it being a failed genre, which doesn't mean the movies aren't good or fun. It just means that there's not the so one there, the, there hasn't been the masterpiece, the, uh, and, and it's a kind of a formal problem, but it's right. also like, it's also not impossible, you know, like the, whatever strict, uh, control Disney exerts over directors to make these movies according to the, like, the Marvel phases and all that, it really is not stricter than what uh, Ford was dealing with with the Hollywood studio system. Absolutely not. And we have proof coming up in this episode. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so the... Well, couldn't you say that if you... I I wonder what you think about this. If you could make a bomb as bad as Shazam, I didn't see it, but I heard (laughs) it's just terrible. (laughs) Then can't you then make a masterpiece? Right? Like aren't the two... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no, a kind that's of a dialectical great, that's a, relation. Yeah. That's a great, yeah. If you can, yeah, if you can bomb that badly, like it's it's kind of like I don't know that um I, I'm probably forgetting something. That this is like too, so this, this is a this is a uh, this is a throwaway hyperbolic statement just to throw put put that out there. But to get us to this thing, like I can't really think of like what was what was like a bomb critical like a critical bomb like English period piece. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do know what you mean. Yeah, you know, and 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 if that if that if that genre example if that doesn't hold water, what my point is is that there are sh- certain genres. It's not really who makes it, but there's just certain ways of making film that it doesn't bomb in the way that a superhero film can bomb. You know, it, it we, and it isn't, and and maybe that's related to budget uh, a lot. But but I just there is there is something in like the superhero film that 
has a capacity to become like a story. Like no one's going to write about, no one's going to write about like an indie film that people were excited about, but doesn't make back its budget. Or right. if they right. are, they're no going to write cares. about how like, Oh, it's the death of independent mm-hmm. cinema. Blah, right. blah, blah. Like, that's the only right. story we can tell about it. But like right. you're going to, the story about a film bombing is it's going to be like a big film. And I like this dialectical thing. If a film can bomb, it means that it can be, it can exceed that. It means that the, for you to think, it so disappointed standards means implicitly you also think it has the potential to exceed them. Like right. it, it just has to structurally right. speaking. That's the, that's kind of the whole, that's kind of the whole idea. And I think, but we haven't with, got there yet with, the we haven't gotten there yet. Film. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think, cause I think with Ford, you can kind of retroactively see, even though he does, he does, it, it, there is a beauty to the, to the frame. It's again, from our position, looking back and, and, and taking stock of like, the Western as a whole, I do think it has um, the superhero movie problem of it's a simplicity and antagonism. And with Ford, it, it has the twin problem of it being racist and white supremacist. And it doesn't help that that uh, avowed white supremacist John Wayne is often at the center of his films. <laughs> you know, like like that doesn't help that thing either. Um, right. The but it, you, and, can, he, you can yeah, use a, you can use an actor against themselves you can right? which like, we're going to talk about because i like rio bravo and part of the what i like about it just i'm going to just put this here because we're not going to talk about it right now but what i like about what hawks does with uh wayne in that movie is he's kind of a castrated figure in the beginning yeah. he's bumbling and hawks keeps takes where wayne doesn't say his lines completely properly in like yeah. in the early part of the film so it really undermines wayne as the like the masculine white supremacist figure like it's it's he's not he's just not in that movie so that's again that like that that uh the the dialectical thing that i think hawks was hawks was in control of both formally and in content which is why we think he's he's the best but let's make the let's make the 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 next step the more um time the more chronological step like who who do do we see as the antidote to some of the things that uh that ford was doing that we're critical of Right. So this amazing filmmaker in the early 50s made a series of five films together with Jimmy Stewart. So it's the filmmaker is Anthony Mann, who also made some great film noir. And as you might know, I mean, maybe most famous for being fired by Kirk Douglas off of Spartacus and replaced <laughs> by Stanley Kubrick. So uh, but but he was a great filmmaker in his own right. And he made these five Westerns. So Winchester 73. I'm not going to go exactly in order. Mm-hmm. Uh Naked Spur, Bend of the River, Man from Laramie, and Far Country. And these five, they're really, so none of them, I'm pretty sure this is correct, none of them indulge in the same kind of uh, anti-Native American racist racism that we see in Ford, right? Like the, mm-hmm. and, and the way, there is, there is anti-Black racism in Bend of the River, which is, mm-hmm horrific and and mm-hmm. it's a comic relief kind of thing which is very typical of hollywood at the time uh but there isn't the other kind and i think this is interesting because i think what man does is he puts the capital i don't know is it the capitalist or is it the the figure of greed of avarice mm-hmm. uh, or the or the you know the rancher or somebody that that is in the the white rancher in the, in the position of the, of lawlessness. So, so that very struck, like he's this, the, the structure of the antagonism of the Western is the same, but Mm -hmm. it's who is, who's in the position of lawlessness. And it's never for man, uh, 
in these Jimmy Stewart Westerns, a, a, a native figure. And I think that's really, really important. It's it. Yeah. I mean, Winchester 73, I think is the most interesting on this point to me from those five films, because it, uh, it does. So y- y- there's um like, I don't know, like 30 minutes in the movie uh, in, into the film. Uh, so Winchester 73 is, is structured around it, uh, a rifle, uh, the, the Winchester 73. Um, yeah. And uh, the just really, uh, there's not a if I if I start getting into the plot it, it gets in the weeds too much but like so the what happens is the Jimmy Stewart's character uh, wins the rifle at um, Dodge City uh, and it's given to him by Wyatt Earp and this other guy who he's competing with who it is uh, made clear he has a history with um, this guy ends up beating him up and stealing the rifle now very important detail in the shooting competition they put like a target out like 25 yards and 35 yards. And then they're like shooting like coins in the air. Like these are like the greatest marksmen this town has ever seen. But the thing that's important about the the shooting is that their grouping, their shot grouping is exactly the same, which reminded me of uh, young Frankenstein when the guy goes, thoop, thoop, thoop. Oh, nice grouping. Right. When he throws the, anyway, he's just yeah. like, he, yeah. anyway, uh, that that reference will land for somebody, and that's going to make uh, my day. Uh, you you don't even know that. So, but the what's important is, is it's not just the random comic thing that's in Young Frankenstein. The shot grouping is two shots on the bottom, one on the top. So it looks kind of like a triangle in the dead center of the uh, of the bullseye, and that links these two characters together. And what you find out um, as the film goes on is that they are brothers, and the other one, the not Jimmy Stewart brother. Uh, killed their father because he was going to turn the uh, the other one into the authorities. Right, and what's it's just it's a really nice visual bit of symbolism. This triangle that like that puts them in a in a in a triangulation of relation that you quite literally don't it is not revealed until the last five minutes of the film. So that's a really mm-hmm. great thing about the film. Another film that is. Um, is different from Ford because this is how I, why I started talking about it from Todd's prompt about like Anthony Mann being very very different different on how he handles like native characterization is like thirty five minutes into the movie there's a guy who who ends up in possession after winning it in a card game uh, this this Winchester seventy three he ends up in uh, uh, trading with uh, a native tribe. And there's a character playing uh, a native figure who is dead center of the frame and he's lecturing the trader because he's he's about to change the terms of the deal that they made. Like that's like what he's about to happen. And what he says right to the camera is that the the, the white man lies, the white man steals, blames them for, you know, uh, for, for all kinds of atrocities. Like, you know, we even still have this today about like scalping when it was like, I, I'm pretty sure um, was something that the French. Uh, I think uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. D- did first yeah. in the, and then yeah. that became a stereotype uh, thrown on to, uh, to, to native tribes. And uh, so in, in unfortunately this film does then have uh, have that the same, the same native guy. So this is the thing with Anthony Mann, right? Is yeah. that this, this the, the native figure who is speaking right to the camera, who is lecturing the audience uh, about the the problem of like of white people and and what white white what you know in the audience being now white westerners what they did to the native inhabitants of what we now call America like, but the character it's uh it's totally a white guy and he's right. speaking in broken English. And then what he's about to do is he's about to kill the traitor for the gun and scalp him. 
So right. it's like you win some, you lose some, but it's the where I think, so that's, so that is, that's bad, but it's, and, and I think like it, it's, it's hard to see this and it's, this isn't like, um, I guess I put it this way. This doesn't excuse the awful and racist parts of that characterization. But what Anthony Mann does is that there is an interiority to the native figure. And right. one of the things the characters talk about in the film is about how the, the, uh, the, the, the native tr- uh, tribe, uh, uh, general, they killed general Custer by outsmarting him, you know? So like that, so there's this thing where it's, it's not this like, it's not this like raw animal vitriol that you get with right, Ford. Right. And, and, you know, and it's also not, I, I want to say this, it's also not the absence of Native Americans, which is another thing that like... That it's another happens, problem, right. Which is right. another so problem. Even, right. Yeah. Even some of the best Westerns that we would think politically, there's, they, they get around the problem of this, of... of, of identification of native with lawlessness by just having no native characters at all. Right. Exactly. Right. right. But I just want to say about, even about Winchester. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just quickly about that, because I think it's interesting that it's the brother who's in the figure of the lawless, of of lawlessness, not even though, okay, there, there's a point at which we see this native character doing something untoward, but again, it's kind of framed in a way that makes it, uh, if not excused, uh, understood. And then, but then the thing is, he's not the, he's not the real functional no. antagonist in the film. No. And I think that's the key thing that in, and, and in, he partakes in the exact same desire as everybody else. That's the right. other thing right. that I think is really, is, right. is really important. Like it is everybody wants this gun. And I yeah. think, and, and what, what you, you had this point, um, with, uh, with Anthony Mann. Can you talk about this with the far country where like Anthony Mann, has there is usually an the object is usually at the center of the, right, of the Anthony right. Mann film and 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 this is the uh and also just just to have a, a brief aside one of the fun things if you watch a lot of westerns is there's basically like six actors who are in <laughs> all of them and they just like change roles so like the we're we're gonna talk <laughs> we're we're gonna talk about um we're gonna talk about uh, Three Tenths of Yuma and the Secret of Convict Lake, and the good bad guy in the Secret of Convict Lake is the good uh, bad guy in Three Tenths of Yuma. That's a lot of fun. Uh, the guy who plays Stumpy in Rio Bravo is Jimmy Stewart's uh, like best friend and confidant in Far Country, and it's kind of this. I'm, I I should know that guy's name because he's such a character actor. Like that's yeah. the thing is like the the character actor level in in these movies. It's just like. There's no genre that's higher. It's, that's it's right. like, that's right. yeah, that's right. So anyway, yeah, totally um, true. so the uh, Abjaya and Anthony Mann. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, in Winchester 73, it's pretty clear that it's the gun driving the desire of everyone. And then when you get it, it's like not yeah. the thing. Right. So that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty great. Uh, and then one of the things that, so, so in, in, in Naked Spur and in Far Country, so there's this incredible conversion that happens at the end of each film where, the guy is driven on by a certain desire and he finds that he gets to his object in some way. And then he's like, I'm going to, I, he realizes that to get the object is to betray myself in some way. And so then Mm. there's this ethical turn at the end of those films. And in fact, in Naked Spur, the Jimmy Stewart character, I think his name is Howard Beck or Howard something. And he buries the, a guy that who he could get a reward for him dead or alive. He's killed him because he's a, he's an outlaw and he just, he just buries him. And rather than, mm-hmm. and he had destroyed Jimmy Stewart's whole life. And, and, right, right. Uh, 
Right, but but he rather than go get the money, he just buries him and goes on and starts his own life again. So it's interesting mm-hmm. that there's this turn away from, uh, and I think this is the end of Far Country too, right? There's this turn away from profit and yes. accumulation to embracing the community or the 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 social the social law that's been founded, right? And like mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's so interesting about man's films is that there's the the social we we so identify the social order with capital today mm-hmm. that I think it's hard to see how, and I think this is what the Western really gets that that at least man's westerns that capital is actually a threat to this to the social order <laughs> like it's yeah. it's inherently corrupt it drives people to do things that are antisocial etc and so to to renounce the pursuit of capital is to. Become, that's what it takes to become part of the social order. And I think that's what you see happening at the end of at least a couple of these Jimmy Stewart man mm. films, at least at the end of Naked Spur and at the end of Far Country. Yeah, this was, you, you hinted at this earlier in the episode, but that, that, this was my, my, my point about what, um, like, we'll get to this in the, maybe more so in the next episode, but I think this is, this is the real reason why we don't see Westerns today is that, like, as the, as the Western, as a genre, got a more complex understanding like away from the ford native antagonism like as it got a more uh you know uh, yes a a fuller uh a a richer sense of antagonism it became uh, allied with the capital and the corporate and you can see you can see this trajectory that we're um that we will get to apologies to have to defer it um and i just i think that's that's why you don't there's a couple a year and you because it's just so uh, it's just such the, to put it in Baju's term, it's just such the situation. So like yeah. when, when in, in the Western, since you're dealing with a, a time period that is not our own, like you, you can see the transgression a lot more clearly than you can right. see it because it's like, like imagine, because a lot of the, a lot of like far country is like this. And, um, Shane is a little bit like this and some other ones are too, that like, um, imagine, uh, eminent domain as a new idea. <laughs> and 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 like what is and, and that being like because what happens is it's not we always this is one of these things where it always becomes locked to like the government doing something dastardly but it's like property being seized or destroyed or made unlivable for um reasons of capital like uh, what the chinatown kind of right d- d- does right. this right um, so I think that's, that's the, the real, the real reason why, and your, your take, I'm going to steal your point. Uh, this is why what we have is the, um, the, the West, the, the antagonism of, of, of the Western since it came to take on this, like this corporate and capitalist, uh, character, since it's so regular and such a part of everyday life, it almost doesn't scan as being an antagonism. So the antagonism has to be ratcheted up even higher. So the, existential threat has to be much bigger. And what do you get? You get the disaster film. This is your right. point. Yeah. I um, think, I think it's really, if you look at the timeline, it's, it's, it's uncanny, right? That yeah. the Western pretty much is dying as it dies out. Then we get this gradual amping up of the disaster film. So I think it's mm-hmm. interesting that you get this, that the, we no longer can, it's no longer visible, the, the law capital and or the lawlessness law, antagonism and instead mm. you so you get this like society law total destruction of the earth right like that's the <laughs> that's the that's the that's what's at stake 
And and that total destruction brings with it lawlessness right, or the threat mm-hmm. of lawlessness, right? Like you see that in every disaster film. And the figures that take on lawlessness are always killed off. I mean, it's really, yeah. it's un, yeah. it's really true, right? Like that, yeah. that if you, if you're the, and also the big capitalist is always killed off, right? Like the mm-hmm. person who's interested in capital instead of, the community or the, the social order is always, but, they're gone. In the disaster and isn't it, inter- isn't it interesting, Todd, that it's always like that problem is projected into the future. Whereas if you put it in the Western, you actually make it foundational for I the know, socialist right, such today. Right, right, and, and exactly, like that, exactly. Like you can do the one thing, but you can't do the other. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Exactly right. And, and, and we cease to be concerned about this foundational problem of, of law, because I think we've, and, and th- this is what you're getting. I think we've just accepted lawlessness as, mm. as, 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 as un- inescapable, right? That, that, Isn't this that, what everyone says about like with Trump? It's like there's always like, oh, he might be indicted this time, and maybe he will be this week. There was news of this. Uh, yeah, yeah. See, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, you know, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll believe it when we see it. So that's yeah. the. Um, but it's but such that's a hysterical the... operation, but, yeah. it, but I do think that it's this like generalized acceptance of corruption yeah. and yeah. lawlessness and that, and that the Western cannot exist in that environment. I think that that's a big thing. It's true. Like, I mean, this is, um, I, 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 uh, th- this is, this is either a good point to move to the, uh, the midfield diamond that's at the heart of this uh, episode. Yeah, let's move. Well, yeah. Okay. So w- what is striking about um, the uh, the Westerners, there is always like there's always a code, right? Yeah. And the code is um, like uh, okay. So some of these, so in some of these films, uh, you have to you have to give up your guns to enter society, the town. which is very yeah. to enter yeah. the town, which is really interesting. What an interesting yeah. lesson. I wonder, yeah. I wonder what society in the world could use something from anyway. anyway uh, so <laughs> there, there's, so there's that, there's that kind of thing, but there's also like, um, it's uh, code as bond. It's, it's very much like, um, I remember learning this in, um, uh, oh, it's one of the many medieval uh, literature classes that I took um, in my literature uh career uh as a Your student, halcyon days as a my halcyon days yeah, yeah. when um when beowulf it, it introduces himself as beowulf in brace yourselves in beowulf um <laughs> it's not just like this it's not it's really really easy to 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 take it for granted but like you um you have to like your name was everything you're you know like uh, I, I had this professor, uh, shout out to uh, John Sexton at Bridgewater State. He had this thing where in the medieval, the, the, the medieval uh, hero, okay, it, it was like the, uh, the zombies uh, time of the season. When you introduce them, it's like, what's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Because you're saying who you are, who you come from, what your father did, and if you have, uh, you know, wealth or material possessions right. or whatever. And, like, this right. was, like, a structure that he used for us to look at, like, a bunch of, you know, medieval, like, morality plays even and, and just things like that. But it's um, – this is something that's in, in the Western is that, like, your your name and your word is your bond in a way right. that is alien to contemporary society. Like, it matters – like, so this is the law – I think it's very similar in a way that you wouldn't expect to the screwball comedy. Like this is the law that needs to be upheld. Is this the law of the social bond? 
Right. And that is where like uh, like the where the transgression typically occurs. And it's also where you you're going to we're going to see in this uh, in this triplet of films, High Noon, 310 to Yuma and Rio Bravo, where you're going to see the emergence of like I, I, I think this is our position, a truly radical code. And uh, like the like a the the emergence of like a a, a radical ethical act that is not uh, slaughtering a native population like that is not a radical act, not a radical act at all and uh, deeply ideological. So um, let's 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 start our our little our little journey here and high noon. And there's a really interesting kind of two interesting trivia uh, things right. on the on first thing that's obvious about the film, right, and that should be mentioned is that it was it's celebrated as an ant, and it was made in this spirit as an anti uh McCarthy film, an anti informist yes. film. So, yes. so it was it's about somebody who has to stand alone against the crowd, yes, uh, and no one will help him, and it's about yes. the figures testify, you know, refusing to testify. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the that's the allegory that a lot of people, I think that's what Fred Zinneman had in mind. So mm-hmm. I think that they were right to read that into the film. So that's the first thing. First thing. The, the, the second thing is it was fascinating that two of our American presidents, it was their all-time favorite film, and one of them showed it over 200 times in the White House, and these presidents were Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the fact that we think of them as politically separate, maybe their shared affection for this film should make us stop <laughs> doing that <laughs> and maybe it dampens the anti-mccarthyist thing it, maybe it does yeah. maybe it does yeah 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 maybe it does There's also so, uh also third third bit of trivia one of the first uh 25 uh films to be uh entered into the library of congress like for preservation oh, wow and uh, yeah this and uh searchers i think so these are the only two westerns only two westerns uh, in, uh, in that in that group um which pretty much conformed to the uh, to, to the Hollywood genres, by the way. Like right. Star Wars is in there, uh, uh, Singing in the Rain is in there for the musical. Um, but like anyway, I, I although you know what I'm not now thinking there probably isn't a horror film, uh, which or is a gangster shame. film. Yeah, probably yeah. not a gangster film either. Yeah, or an old drama. So I think that we got some missing pieces. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Now that yeah, vert, Vertigo. Vert, uh, anyway, whatever. Let's not anyway. uh, do that on air. Uh, so High Noon. Yes, absolute credit, much shorter preamble, total credit for the anti-McCarthyist thing. But it's like... Yeah, where's the problem, Ryan? Where's the problem? Here, Well, just about the American presidents thing, like, you know why this was the most popular film for presidents? Because that's how they see themselves. Everyone abandons them, and they're the ones who are left to do duty. And um, I think also the film deserves a demerit for wasting the Princess of Monaco, uh, who is made a total passenger, although she does kill somebody. She kills someone. Is, right. Which is good. Um, but I think the um, it's it's not. Uh, I mean, the OK, on the on the poles of um, least to most uh, feminist uh, Western, this is definitely not Johnny Guitar, which is great. Um, with the, the, the maybe ends, the most the, classic, maybe the most, and not just because classical yeah, Western, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, and not just because Joan Crawford is the star, but because the antagonist is another woman, and there's this like this again this like queer thing with the, the antagonist and her, and then the dancing kid, like this whole thing, and then so that 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 movie is great. That's the lesson for this episode, by the way. So watch the Johnny Guitar, a film that would be we're giving it away already. I'm giving it away now. I'm giving it away so people have a chance to 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 watch it by the time this episode ends. Okay. Uh, the uh <laughs> the but um. The so if we're we're on a we're on a spectrum of I don't uh, I mean probably uh, stagecoach I don't think that it's the least of feminist but it's not it's not super great on that. Well, uh, I don't know though because yeah. it does depict a prostitute who then go gets married to the hero at the end. I mean, I guess that's true. That's not yeah. It could be worse, right? It could I mean, be worse. Okay, so there's something at the bottom. Anyway, all I'm saying is high noon. It's um because the also the um I I I the uh what is the I'm forgetting the name of the other the other woman who had the relationship with the guy who's coming to town probably should have explained this. High noon is about someone who has recently who was supposed to be hanged but was commuted by the North. This is very funny. His sentence was commuted to life and then he was let go. So there's also this thing in this film about like I think northern uh liberals uh and in like reparative justice yeah. and not yeah. not killing criminals and that it should be docked for that as well. And so this guy is coming to town and he's gonna kill the um the outgoing marshal who just gets married to uh grace kelly princess of monaco and he's got one thing that is interesting formally about the film uh is that it does unfold in real time over its over its runtime although i think it makes it a little bit boring because you're just at times you're just going from place to place and wait for people to betray uh gary cooper like that's just kind of what's happening as the movie goes on Right, the guy. Um, so the guy coming in is Frank Miller, and the, there's like the Miller gang that's right come and together. His, and, and his yeah. ex. This is the, the other, this was kind of my my thing on this, like the anti-feminist thing, is that the other his ex who is still in the town who has a relationship with another man now. Like I just think she gets like she gets a lot of screen time, and she is a woman of color, and, and so like there's that's that's a thing. It's I don't Helen, wanna... I think her character's name is Helen, right? Helen, yeah, yeah. but she just is like kind of i think uh rendered cowardly yeah uh because she gets out of town like she'd like with everyone else who everyone else right she gets out of town and then even his wife does grace kelly but then she leaves and and does come back to eventually kill somebody so i think it's it's like um and there is so across the town uh he he's trying to solicit help to stand up to the Miller gang. Uh, Gary Cooper is, and there are two people who say they'll help him and he turns their help away. And it's a disabled man, a guy with one eye and a young kid who's like 13 and he turns their help away. So it is not the case that he is abandoned. He just refuses the help that he's given. And I think what you're supposed to read into that is like, he's doing them a favor, which is so freaking condescending. Like it it rankled me like a little bit. It's like, Oh, he's saving this boy. Look at the duty. And like, Oh, he's saving the, the, the poor disabled where in Rio Bravo has a great corrective to this. Well, it's Uh, interesting. Yeah. So Hawks hated this film, hated it. Not because of its anti-McCarthyism, but because he, he he. I don't think he understood why he hated it, but <laughs> but but what he what he thought that he hated was that it showed the Western hero as this diminished figure, right? Like mm. not as. But it doesn't really do that at all. And he thought it was too much of a 
that it was too much of a revisionist Western, and he liked he liked the classical Western. So then mm-hmm. he made Rio Bravo in response. But what's interesting is you can see that if, if he might not have known this himself, uh, but he what he really didn't like was the radical individualism of yes. of of High Noon, and he made Rio Bravo as a collectivist response, right? Like yes. the the town basically comes together. So Rio Bravo has a similar kind of situation where uh, a sheriff is, uh, is, is is waiting in the town like someone's going to come to kill him, basically. Mm-hmm. And his name has a great name, John T. Chance, is played by yes. John Wayne. And, and, and he actually has this guy named the dude who is played by Dean Martin, who's amazing. And then a a young sharpshooter who's come into town with a group of men who, who offer to help him. And then he has his, his, his old time buddy played by Walter Brennan named Stumpy in the film. But then this young sharpshooter is played by Ricky Nelson, the singer. (laughs) And so he's got this group of people helping him out at the jail so that when, uh, when the, What's the guy's name? Is it Wheeler that's coming into town? I I, I forgot the name of that guy. Anyway, uh, when don't the, forget when the, the woman who talks too much and throws a oh, pot. Well, I mean, there's Angie Dickinson plays a prostitute, right? Who's who's amazing in the film, and she's just sort of on his side, having a relationship with him. But uh, I I think that the 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 what's fascinating about Rio Bravo in comparison to high noon. And you can see why no presidents liked it because it doesn't have the same <laughs> dynamic. It's like the whole collective is coming together, right? It's not individualist yeah. at all. Right. Like the, yeah. I mean, there is the Western hero, but then he's much more, I mean, it's a really, it's, it's a fascinating film. So it's, it's not, it's pretty late. It's 1959. And it's the Western hero is defending against lawlessness, mm-hmm. but he's, Unlike the earlier Western heroes, you don't have to really shut the, like famously Searcher shuts the door on Ethan Edwards, right? That doesn't seem necessary here, right? Like he's, John T. Chance is, and and Angie Dickinson, the Feathers character is her name in the film. She she calls him John T. all the time. That's very funny. (laughs) Uh, But he doesn't have to really be left out of the society, I don't think, right? No, no. Yeah. He even, I even think like one of the things that's really great is like at the end of the film, she puts on her, I guess, like a a dancing uh, dress garb that she would have worn as a, you know, working uh, somewhere. What, like casino or something like that? Casino, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And she wanted to, she wanted him to know of her past and the previous work that, that she did so he could fully accept her as she is. And she he he says he's going to arrest her if she wears that and it like she starts crying they have a really interesting relationship yeah, they I, do. I think they and do. Yeah. and he um a very like it, she asks if uh he wants her to keep her dress like or not dress sorry this this like this skimpy outfit that yeah. she'd have worn at the casino and he holds it in his hand and he throws it out the window and it's a i think it's a like that's a um that's a really nice uh, come as you are uh, gesture. Yeah. I guess I'll, I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. And I think it's um it's the, I think a very strong uh, uh, feminist uh, 
thing for 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 a, for a film like this, especially for a time like this. And it's not and it's not surprising because Hawks. I mean, there's this is even like a Wikipedia page. The quote Hawksian woman, which he yeah. said he didn't do. They didn't do this on purpose, but like uh, you know. Uh, he, which you know what, probably to his detriment in uh, nowadays that he didn't talk up his own his own art. Um, but like the all throughout his films is like like what we the the, the now elusive category of the strong uh, female character. Like this film does not pass the Bechdel test. She's basically the only woman. I think she is the only woman in the entire. I movie. think she is. Yeah. But yeah. it's like her characterization. Like it, it's this is really what like. Um, this is really what it is. Does the, the woman character have interiority or is she a sexy lamp? And right. like, that's really the, that's the question. That's I, I think the, the right. thing like, and does, does the native, that's character, the Ryan Angley test. That's the Ryan Angley test. Does the native <laughs> character have, have interiority do, you know, like in, yeah. in yeah. like the, no. the older films, I mean, even yeah, now, yeah. like, even or now. are we just right. doing flat representation? We're just like throwing people out there. They have no interiority. They're just right. there to make it look like, Oh, now I can enjoy that this film is basically just about white people because right. I, you know, right. I see this like this uh, this representation like all over the right. place. Does the character right. have interiority? Are they conflictual? Are they contradictory? That's the yeah, sure. That the, the, the right angle test, and I think that that's. I mean, that's not mine. I mean, that's I think that's <laughs> I know, I'm just the, the why yeah. theory test. You know, you I know you're being funny, but it's yeah. the. It's something that we talk about a lot. I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot with, um, especially as as it regards. Um, like feminism and uh, and then uh, like anti-racism is that like you know are like are what who is allowed to be contradictory Absolutely. and then if right. y- when you see who's allowed to be contradictory like you know that that's that that, per- that, that I don't know I think their rights are entrenched then yeah They're, and, and not yeah. in question in both socially and then representationally in film but if they're not allowed to be contradictory then there that's that's a civil rights issue i think that yeah that yeah no it's sort of it's really good yeah what you're saying is really good and i think that i think that hawks i mean it's fascinating that he 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 kind of had a conservative objection to high noon yeah. and yet yeah. he made a much more radical film in response to that conservative film so it just it kind of shows that you don't you if you're I don't know what it is, right? Like it, that makes you good at doing your art. I mean, nobody, maybe mm. nobody knows that, but, but it's certainly not a totally conscious process because Hawks was like, based on what he said, he didn't really know how, what he was doing in mm. making Rio Bravo and why it would be such an improvement on high noon from, from our perspective. Right. I think it, it's just, it's yeah. kind of fascinating in that way that he just, I mean, I think he's really, we, we've talked about him quite a bit, and especially in the screwball comedy mm. episode. He's just such a, he said, he, he, you, you said he's the great generalist of, of yeah. uh, directors. He's and the, I the think specialist at being a generalist. Yeah, yeah it's really yeah. true. He just, he, he, there's not a genre that he can't do well or tackle. And I think that it's, I mean, musical even. So it's, yeah. um, you know, so there, I think it's across genres. Uh, but I think this one, it's the, the Westerns, it, I mean, Ford, has such a more of a place in the history of the Western, but I think mm. Rio Bravo does like, it, it seems to do, I guess it's not really, it's not so much a commentary on, there's not really the, the there's not a question of racism in the film, right? Like there's no, mm. even, I don't think well, there that, are any native that, characters. No, at all. there's not that it's the, uh, it's the, uh, to quote the Simpson, it's the avoision of the issue. Yeah. Is the, you know, yeah. so like, yeah. so you, you, 
you know, that's that's like I think one of those that conversation that that um, is is good to have about the Western is that like what's is the is the I mean actually maybe about like any film especially if it's any film piece. right yeah right. is it right. like is it be, like there's you got to be a little bit dialectical about the bad representation because the like total erasure is like I mean that that kind of has its own uh, argument to uh, to it you know absolutely so, but, but there is true. the there is I just to um to uh, make make this like the the relationship between high noon and 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 bravo uh rio bravo like really really clear it's like high noon has an ideological version of what the radical act looks like which Mm. is as reagan and clinton clearly would have seen it is doing your duty even when everyone abandons you right and that's like uh like you're gonna save the town even when the town will not help you and i think that like uh uh, tony soprano says this about Gary Cooper, right? Like I, I think he's he's obsessed with Gary Cooper. Yeah. Obsessed with him. He's and he, yeah. he laments the fact he's like, "What? Gary Cooper wouldn't do this. Where's Gary Cooper today?" He's constantly saying that, and yeah. it's it's high noon that he has in mind. Yeah. Right. And it's yeah. it's so funny because Tony Soprano is about the opposite of an ethical subject or a, or a Western hero, and yet he's mm. obsessed. I mean, so it makes more sense when he's it watching Cagney. Sense than it does when he's talking about. But I think you made a point to me about this film, which is fascinating, that it's really a private, the Miller gang has yeah. a private issue with Will Kane, yes. the Gary Cooper figure, not in his function as Marshall, right? So no. I think that's a, that is a it's, key, key distinction. It is. It's, I think it's alighted that like, the town is literally correct. It is actually not their business. So what he like, so, um, and this is, uh, this is something. And he could just walk away, right? Like that's what they say. That's what Grace Kelly says to him, right? Like, let's just get out of here. And he just, let's get out of here. Yeah. But he's no, and he's not even the marshal anymore. It's like this, it's the classic, the thing, the Simpsons always does is that, uh, that car was one day away from retirement or it's like, or whatever. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like that, 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 that sort of classic thing. He was one day away from retirement and then the Frank Miller gang comes to town. So the, it is actually so the film, and I think, I, I think the the um, the ideological reading of the film is that like oh, it's uh, he the singular guy does something to rescue the social even though they don't want to help him. I think that's the the ideological reading of right. the film or the the doxa reading. But it's really like this is a it's a personal dispute that is what is at the center of this movie it is a it is a particular problem it is not and and gary cooper's failure to make it seem a universal a universalist problem is because it is not it is like the like it, it, uh, um perhaps i mean i don't want to this the the film is what the film is going to be so it's not like oh if he made a different argument it's like great i mean if maybe if it wasn't a western it'd have been a horror film like well we no but we ryan can't do isn't that, it but yeah, isn't it interesting that even in searchers the film makes like the the Ethan Edwards character is able to make this attack on the one family into this universal thing about like the, sustaining a sense of law, even if it if right. it's based in racism and whatever, right? But it's still mm-hmm. it's still a, it's still not a, just a particular quarrel of the family, right? So I yeah. think that that I, I do think that almost every other Western doesn't do this. So it is fascinating that, that, that the film sets it up as a particular 
dispute and then never tries to make the con- never tries to force us to see it as a universal one right I like mean that's he, just weird if he had accepted if he had accepted the like I mean don't you think if he had accepted the again this is like like counterfactual and it's fictional but like theoretically speaking if he accepts the help of a child and a, a disabled man then don't you start to see the universality of it yes but yes. he he it maintains like it's on the like that. This is, I, I think the problem with the argument he's making is that like on the one hand, he wants it to be the town's problem, but he's also clear. Like this concerns me. I can't get a child killed for this. And it's like, well then it doesn't concern the town. If you, but you that's know, what's like, interesting again, yeah. Rio Bravo, right? Like John Wayne, yeah. Ricky Nelson's pretty. He's a teenager. Yes, He's a teenager. And John Wayne doesn't turn him away. He's like, okay. Come on board, right? And he turns away it's... Stumpy, and then Stumpy saves him, and comes actually comes up with the idea to, um, which is a total reference. There's there's this there's a, a a scene I think in the in the shootout in High Noon where the uh, Miller gang is trying to uh, get John Wayne out of a barn, and they throw uh, oil lamps yeah. at him, and then in Rio Bravo. Stumpy finds a uh, like a wagon full of dynamite and they throw dynamite at the house where the um, where the gang in that film is pinned down in. And yeah. so it's a total you know visual reference only it's more it's reversed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It is reversed. It's reversed. So who's doing the what and who's snuffing out what. And it's it is also making the claim like, you know, uh, you, you I don't know, John John Wayne in that film. Uh, it the, which is like really one of the only I, maybe, I like him the most in that. I don't know that I like yeah, him I in almost I any other film. Yeah. Um, he it's similar to Gary Cooper. He doesn't want to get too many people involved, but there's like a Dean Martin is great in this movie. Oh. Uh, it, and his arc is uh is incredible. And it, it it as like from going from a drunk to uh to to becoming more assured of himself. But then at the moment that he's sure of himself. Uh, Stumpy shoots his hat because he looks different. He thinks he's somebody else and he completely <laughs> falls apart again. So like, you don't normally get that. Like that's again, like another yeah. kind of like in, interior yeah. complexity you don't typically get. Usually it's a more simplistic arc. Someone, someone was in a low position. They go to a high position and now right. they're in a high position forever, especially right. as a minor character. But Dean Martin in the film, like he backslides uh, twice, you know, twice. And, right. Right. And, and anyway, and I, I do think this is the like the point that Hawks is making, even in that, like the the, di- the dynamite thing is, is that like um, Rio Bravo has the social on the side of right and High Noon actually has the social on the side of wrong. Right. And that's a, another thing that it does uh, improperly is that like it, it it puts collectivity on the side of lawlessness. Right. And it puts right. Lo- the law on the side of the individual, where Rio Bravo does the opposite, as does all emancipatory revolutions, as we've talked about in history, is on the side. That's of right. The, that's the, right. The, that's the, right. It's interesting. Right. 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 Collective. Yeah. Right. Like Rio Bravo is really. It's like you were talking about how the ethical act is done for unethical reasons and or for an unethical goal in in High Noon, but. Yeah. I think in it, but the ethical act is collective in in yes. Rio Bravo, which is key. But then, but then we get the great ethical film that I okay. think we you know that we should come to. And I think we're gonna, we're, we're I think we both is, you like Johnny is, Guitar, but for me this like is Johnny the Guitar great. Lot, yeah. This is the great classical western. I think. Yeah, I, it's been the lesson before, so we can talk about it freely. Uh, so it's the the film is Three Ten to Yuma, and it's which a has film a theme about, song, listeners. 
It does. It's a song. It's a song that be, like it's it's a it's a movie that begins with a theme song about the title, explaining that it's a train. Because I, you know what, Gen- I mean, I didn't look into this, but like, I mean, I think that needs to be like the title is a little strange to say. It is right, right. you know, today, right? Yeah, it yeah. But um, anyway, I any any movie that has a that that has a theme song based on the title, I think that's you know. Also, I require film, uh, uh, characters to throw a glass against the wall in the westerns <laughs> that I like. If they don't yeah. do that, I don't, it's yeah. like, it, it is a minus five for me. Right yeah. Off the bat. yeah. But anyway, so this, this has that. With, yeah. So, yes, it does. so this is a film about a guy, uh, a, a, a farmer named Dan Evans played by Van Heflin again. Yes. He's also Van in Shane. <laughs> I think you're confused. Like, no, you um, think so? I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I think I'm right about this. <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, the Dan Evans character is, there's a drought and so his crops are all dried up and it's not going to rain and he's desperate for money in order to keep his farm. Everyone else is moving out. And one way to get money is to take this outlaw Ben Wade to the train, which is the 310 to Yuma. And it's uh, over the course of a, they've, they've captured like the gang came in, did some gang criminal things, but Ben Wade was fooling around with a woman and then was late getting out of town with the rest of his gang gets caught and they all, they have him captured when he's not, doesn't have his gun. And then, uh, Dan Evans, Ben, Van Heflin agrees for, is it a hundred dollars? I think, or $200. I think so. Uh, 200, 200, 200. Yeah. To to take, to, to by the, by the man who runs the stagecoach, who's a a wealthy person to, because Ben Wade is the Wade gang has robbed the stagecoach, uh, Mm -hmm. to take Ben Wade to, to the 310 to Yuma, to prison in, in Yuma. And uh, what's interesting is that the film is about, so he starts out doing this act for the money, the Dan mm-hmm. Evans, Van Heflin, right? It's just purely for the money. But then at a certain, it's a fascinating thing. At a certain point, the guy who's hired him is like, okay, first of all, people along the line are begging him not to do it, including his spouse. She's like, don't do it. His child mm-hmm. says, don't do it. And then the the guy who's who's hired him is like, you don't do it. It's too risky because the gang's going to, you know, Ben Wade has said, my gang's going to come kill you and free me. And everyone and else Ben is Wade afraid. has offered him more money also, like thousands right. so, of dollars. So Wade himself, right, has, has offered him more than 200. How much are they giving you for me? I'll double it. That's what he double said, it. right? So, and it keeps yeah. going higher as the film goes on, like the more he's right. got him in captivity. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then, but then the guy who's hired him says... I don't want to see you killed. Let him go. I'll still give you the two hundred dollars. And yes. this is about I don't know ten minutes left in the film. Another yeah. nice night, nice tight ninety yeah. minute film. It's ten minutes uh, before the three ten arrives. That's right. That's right. Ten minutes before the three ten arrives, and and Dan is like, I can't. I, I there has to be. And he 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 talks about it in terms of lawlessness and law. Right. Like he's like, mm-hmm. you just have to at a certain time. You just have to stand up for what is right for law. We can't just have this lawlessness in the world. I got to take him to the 310, even if it costs me my life. And it's just a kind of a shocking moment because yeah. why Why would he do that? There's no reason to do it. He's got the, the money he needed he's going to get anyway. Mm-hmm. And then 
his wife has come to town to plead with him. Like, I just want to wanna make plead. that clear. If you haven't seen the right. movie, like she, and it's not easy to like, it's not just like popping over to the next, it's not like popping right. over to the Walmart, you know, the, the next town or city over like this, like right. it's far away. She got a horseback. She went to the town and she's making the, her, her case to her husband to just like, don't, don't do this. Everyone yeah. telling him not to do this, including, yeah. the, including, I mean, of course he's advocating for, to be not in uh, captivity, but including the person in captivity. Uh, right. Right. The, right. the Glenn Ford character. But what's um, amazing is the, the, the coach owner who you would think is this rapacious capitalist does. He's like, look, I care more about your life than about the money. Don't yes. just let him go. And, yeah. and Van Heflin just like, I can't do that. I cannot do yeah. it. So, so there's, they're, st- they're, they're waiting in a hotel until, it's very suspenseful, by the way. I mean, it's just amazing yeah. the way Delmar Dave's the, the shots are amazing. There's all these shots of the stairs, and it's mm-hmm. really great. And then they leave the hotel. They go to the train. They know the gang's waiting for them. The gang's all shows up, and they're and then they're they're, they're they get right to the. They pretty strategically make their way, and they get right to where they're going to jump onto the train or get onto the one of the trains. It's it's moving, and. Uh, one of Ben Wade's gang goes duck Ben and and he doesn't duck and he goes he just says to Van he goes do you trust me mm-hmm. and and which is a weird thing because he's the he's the criminal, the criminal. being yeah. being t- brought into custody potentially to be executed right yes yeah. and and he just says you got to trust me jump and then so he he jumps first into the train and then Dan jumps after him so he he. He he saves the criminal, saves the life of the person taking him to jail, and does it in a way that puts himself in mortal danger. So it's a yeah. really, so I think your point about the ethical, I think it totally flips around the ethical act from high noon, right? Like it mm-hmm. it, it puts it totally on its head. Yeah, it's it. Well, it's a. I mean, we often say this. Like, there are a lot of things that make for a better example of Lacan's pos- ethical position of psychoanalysis, which is not giving ground relative to uh, your desire, and then the thing he gives is the example, which is Antigone, who is uh, acting in concordance with the unwritten rule of the gods, as we have talked about many, many times. This right. is a. This is a a, a really good example. Like everybody in uh, Van Heflin's life is telling him, "Do not do this." don't you don't have to like you're out you're going to get the reward you're going to get the benefit of having done this without having done this right you already did enough you You already did it more than anyone else would 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 have done like no one could expect more of you and he still and he still does it and it's like this is the thing i I think that um you have a a publicly available essay about um don draper uh they wrote for a blog long time ago about this uh episode where he um, Don Draper stops writing ad copy. And you talked about this as an ethical act because it, he undermines his symbolic position. That's what like he completely does. Like that's what Don Draper does in that show. He is right. ad man and he stops doing creative. He a- absolutely, he cuts that out. He like, it's, it's a, a symbolic, a symbolic suicide, if you like, you right. know, like that's, uh, and that, uh, you position at that time as, as, as ethical act. Um, and I think, we have something that is, I mean, this is more, um, the existential stakes are much higher because he can literally die and probably will because it's just him trying to get a guy onto a train across an entire town. And there's a gang of like five, six people. And it just seems like it's not possible for him to do it, but there's like a dust storm. And then there's just like, like he, he I think, I think there's a dust storm and then doesn't the steam from the train 
kind of yes. gives them a little cover to a little yeah. bit of cover and, and he's able to get so all, all these things and but it's not just that it's like it's um it's not just that it'll it it, it will very likely kill him to do this it's this the strength like the force of him being so on this ethical code inspires the criminal to act right. against his interests right, right, in saving right. his his uh his capturer you know right. um and and getting on the the train and so then and then they get on the train and it's like i said this too it's like midnight run right uh, where right you, right you another know, great when, film right i you know, I, you know do you think like i think that there's maybe i don't know i can't think of another example where someone's been tempted into acting ethically, ethically. Right, like yeah. usually we we think of temptation the opposite direction, right? Like right. You're, you're tempted into sin, but here, the devil on the shoulder and the right. angel, and yeah, yeah, right. Here it's just yeah. the opposite. Like Van Heflin tempts Glenn Ford into into acting ethically, and and yes. yeah, it's a, it's a it's a really it's a it's an incredible film. I mean, it really, yeah, yeah. It's just to me, it's the great. I see the point about Johnny Guitar, but man, I think it's just such a great. <laughs> The ending no, is, it's, it's, it's incredible. The, yeah, Johnny. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm, um, I can concede this. Johnny Guitar, the, re, the rewards in that film are, are different, and I don't think it has, um, I don't think it has the, uh, a, it's a very, very good ending, and it's a suspenseful. It's a great movie. Like it's, it's a great I think movie. It's, yeah, it's not a ninety Agreed. minuter. Um, uh, uh, it, but it's like a little under. It's like a shade under two hours. I think it's like Ray a was a hour. little more verbose than Delmar Dates, a, who directed. A little bit, yeah, but there's a lot, man. Yeah, there's, there's a lot. lot in there. There's true. a lot there. And Sterling yeah. Hayden, if you know Sterling Hayden, um, as a Colonel Jack T. Ripper uh, from uh, Doctor Strangelove, it is. It will be uh, jarring to see him right, as right. kind of a kind of sexy. Uh, right. He was like, sort of a sexy younger guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In that yeah. in that film. So, um, but uh, but yeah, no. So, um, I think especially with with the like the ethical, I I I, I, I like Johnny Guitar. The like the um, so jo- Joan Crawford makes this point. Like, why does the, the the woman in town? Why does she want to kill the dancing kid so badly? And she says. Cause he makes her feel like a woman and mm. she also like, and then it's also, it's implicit. Like she identifies with Vienna. That's Joan Crawford's character. And it's like, it's, it, you know, it's a real, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. Like it can yeah. only, there can only be, um, Oh, you, you, there can only be one person occupying the, uh, the position of feminine masculinity. Like the, there can only be yeah. one. And that, and like that, but that's not what Vienna thinks, but it's what I'm, I wish I remembered her name, but it, it's what the, uh, the antagonist in that film thinks all that stuff I think is really great, but it doesn't have the, um, the, the, I think the shock of the radical act that, oh. um, that the 310 to Yuma does. So yeah, I, uh, right. I, no I, one, I, I don't think yeah. you, as a spectator, you have no idea that that's coming, right? Like that's yeah. the other thing. Like you're like, Oh, maybe he'll make it. Maybe he won't. But you never mm-hmm. think like, wow, Ben Wade, the Glenn Ford is going to actually be the reason why he's able to get him onto the train. No, just, no, no, no. You it's just so that. bizarre. I mean, and I think just from our perspective, it just seems like it's un, it's, it seems impossible, but and I think it's important. Like the ethical act has this impossible status to it. you right. Like it can't yeah. be, it's outside of any calculation. And I think that that's what really, makes it so great. Anyway, I, I, well, I think it really, it's, well, a, this it's is a, a, can I just want to just nail down yeah. the, the, the subtlety of this point a little bit is like, I think, uh, 
there's a there's a lot of contemporary phrases around narrative that are like very internet-y and meme-y and I hate almost all of them. And one of them that draws my ire more than 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 most is uh, the phrase plot armor that uh, characters like the characters have uh, they're they're never really in peril because they have plot armor. Uh, plot armor, and, okay. Yeah, and as a spectator, um, you know this. So, quote, it really takes me out of the TV, which I I hate this so much. It really takes yeah. me out of the TV show because it's so clear that these characters have plot armor. Like, yeah, the it's named after them, or it's like, of course, like, well, like, I, do you want a prize for having identified the main characters of something? Like, I don't understand this. Like, people right. always pat themselves on the back for guessing the twist in an obvious film when the twist is obvious in the film. So, like, I don't know what you're you're lauding yourself for. But anyway, right. the what. Instead of paying, instead of paying attention like that, like oh, I knew he was gonna live. Like what, like with three tenths of humor is really interesting. Is that like you're probably pretty sure? I mean, although I, I wasn't sure that he was gonna live because it's it's not always no, clear. No, I, I wasn't in, sure at all. No. Yeah, it, it's yeah. not always clear in the western. And it's and in fact, also, in the remake, he dies. Oh, that's really interesting. So that's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah, the remake so, is horrible. It's with, uh, well, I, I just alienated a hundred people, but uh, it's with <laughs> Christian Bale and Russell Crowe, and it's just it's right. Horrible. Well, because it, because the I mean, I think the um, the radical we're we're too cynical about the radical act. So yeah, I yeah, yeah. for sure the for but sure. in the so but in the film, like you know, whether you you think if you think he's gonna live or not, like you probably don't know the way that he's gonna live. You probably think, oh, he's actually gonna secretly kill all six of these guys, like with yeah, amazing hip or, shots or whatever. Right. But you don't expect the uh you know the the, uh, the 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 person he's captured to end up being his savior and even if you do think that this is I, I think my my like my final point on this is that that character doesn't know that when right. he gets captured there is no way the Glenn Ford character is gonna stick his neck out for Van Heflin like it's it's it, he doesn't know that he doesn't know he's gonna do that until he does it right. and I just think it's right. like this this is one of the things where it's like it's not it's not uh, you. Sh- you do not win a prize for being detached and recognizing that the there are uh, capitalist interests involved in a movie or a TV show, and the more interesting characters are going to live because of that. It is on the show or the movie, of course, to like make things suspenseful to the degree that they can. But it's much. I think it's a more of a radical act to put yourself in the head of the characters. Do they know they're going to live? Right. Because they don't. Right. Like and and again, does the uh, does uh, the Glenn Ford character know that he's gonna really stick his neck out for a guy he tries to kill a couple times throughout the movie? No, he doesn't Absolutely know that. Absolutely not. Right. He no. doesn't know not that until at all. not 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 until not even one moment before he does it. Right? Absolutely. Like he never. He's. It's like a completely unconscious act on his. Part. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the like that's the important. It's an important thing to keep in mind, especially when you watch classic Hollywood films because they are like quite literally formulaic. Like, I mean, that's like how they're, they're they're made. And like, like a 90 minute film, you've got three acts. They're all 30 minutes. Like, isn't that an amazing coincidence? It's like, but like, and there are all, there's all these opportunities, I think to like, to, to not invest yourself in it because like they help to establish the tropes that like are like everywhere and, and film and TV today. But like, I think when you, uh, get, like one of the this is one of the side objectives of the the genre series is that like uh, like in, with the noir which is not really a genre as we talked about but like with all of these there's like if you watch enough 
you will start to see the like the predictable patterns and like the challenge is really I, I think getting into it at this level, which is like, but do the characters know that yeah. this thing is about to happen to them? Absolutely. And Absolutely. and is there a surprise? It's not. So the question isn't like you get no prizes for knowing what's going to happen. Like you get no prizes for knowing that in Shane, which again, we're going to talk about next time that Shane's going to kill the guys who he first meets, you know, <laughs> in the, like you get no prize, but how that happens in, yeah. in, in, like, like how it takes place. That's what matters. Cool. It's like, yeah, it's like the old, the old, uh, the Hitchcock line. It's not, it's not the, it's not the bang. That's not what suspense is, but the anticipation of it. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's like, for sure. It's the, how it for happens sure. that matters. So, so we're going to conclude with one more brief discussion of another Glenn Ford movie. Yes, uh, we are. Which is a very, what would you call it? I call it a very non-typical Western, yeah. right? Although it does have the same antagonism, the same problem with lawlessness that has to mm-hmm. be. And, and, and in fact, lawlessness is passing in the guise of obedience to law at, in, mm. in certain characters in this film. It's called, the film is called The Secret of Convict Lake, and it's, Available on YouTube, it's very easy to watch, and it's really it's it's pretty great. And it and it's about six convicts who escape to this little town, and the person Glenn Ford is coming to kill someone who's not there, who's yep. gone out uh, searching for gold to keep the town viable and alive. Uh, and he he ends up killing this guy at the end of the film, but this guy turns out to be himself a figure of lawlessness because he 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 testified against Glenn Ford uh gave a lying testimony that put him actually on death row and so he has a lot at stake but then the film ends and this is the thing we want to talk about the ending of yeah. the film so five of the convicts that escaped have is this correct the number five have been mm-hmm. killed yeah yes and then there are six graves that the town because, dug because, because the Glenn Ford character, th- this is because the Glenn Ford character was wrongly imprisoned. Right. Uh, and the guy did, that, yeah, the, the guy that testified he, wait, against what, what, him. Exactly. The guy he, testified against him. Like he did kill somebody, but it was in self-defense. And the guy said, right. He was murdered, and the guy right. said he lied about that. Yeah. And, uh, but for money, Glenn Ford kills him clear. for money. Correct. Glenn yes. Ford kills him and he's in the sixth grave. And so then the police come and they're like, we're, we're looking for these, you know, six convicts, escaped convicts. And the, right before the police get there, the town has this this meeting and they're like, we got to turn him in, especially like, and, every, and that seems to be the consensus. And then this grandmother figure gives this mm-hmm. speech about how, you know, who doesn't Christianity say those without sin, who's without sin, cast the first stone. And doesn't it mean taking responsibility for our own culpability and things? Mm-hmm. And cause we're all sinful too. And so you would think like they're all Christian. The one thing they wouldn't do is certainly Kant wouldn't do this. They wouldn't lie, but yeah. the cops come and they collectively cover over what the Glenn Ford, his killing of the guy and even the fact that he's among them. So he, he's, they let him and then the police leave and then he's able to continue living with them. And yeah. Like, I almost yeah. like, I, I think I do. It would be really great if people watch this movie. So don't say what the, cause the, we've said what the, I guess what the twist is, but like it's the line from the matriarch yeah. of the town, because what's important is that all the, all the men have left from this town. So yeah. it's uh, a very, very small town kind of in the mountains trying to survive and um with just women when the just women first in, get there right exactly and uh so and there's a like the um 
the the woman who ends up like so Glenn Ford ends up having a romantic interest with the woman whose hus- husband is the person who betrayed him. Right. And, and then, who he's like, going to so, kill. Who he's going to kill. And also that woman was also like so there, there's a thing that kind of bonds her to this guy because she was the last to arrive in this town. So there's like this and, and the other women there don't are more suspicious of her. Yeah. Um, be- because she's, she's new. So there's also this, like this great, like outsider-ness, like, like she's like the outsider insider and that, like, that's just a very thoughtful way. And like, he's the only convict who didn't do it, you know? So he's, he's also the outsider, like in like insider within that gang. And like, so uh, it's just, uh, it's a great, a great film. I think I'm more, uh, certainly a much more minor film. It was recently though, uh, collected. It, oh no, no, I, was it? I don't no, know this. I, just oh, you were just predicting. No, it was recently collected in a bunch, uh, like kind of a bundle of films on the Criterion Channel under oh. the the banner of the Snow Western. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there it's was, Gene I think, Tierney some, who he's in love with, right? So that she's yes. a pretty important star. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, anyway. Yeah, so total recommendation. And but uh, but again, the the um, the radical act in this film is it's uh, collective too. It's collective, and I think it's performed in the final line, basically, by the uh, the matriarch of the town. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's... Granny, I uh, think, is her actual name. I think it's just her name. So that part's not great, but she's a complex character and has... Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, all I mean, the women have the main... This is one of the makes it an unusual Western, is that the women yeah. are the main characters in the film. Yeah. yeah. And the, like, uh, uh, the, the, the woman who is the... Uh, who's the sister of the um the guy who uh glenn ford has come to kill like she has a great arc too where like uh you know she uh you know early in the film once she like she seemed to be the most vociferous against allowing them uh these convicts to stay in the abandoned house in town not abandoned but like it's just no one's living in it right now yeah and then after she's met them she catches a glimpse a, a, a glimpse of herself in the window and like because and she's starting to uh, become like to, 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 it's just implicit. She's like fantasizing about being with one of the men who yeah. are these convicts. And then she has to very, once she realizes what she's doing, she has to stop just to try to like clamp that down. And then that ends up becoming like one of the, uh, internal conflicts in the, in the movie, which, uh, yeah, it's uh, super. And, um, I think if uh, we didn't talk about it would have been, would have been the lesson, but since we didn't talk about Johnny, yeah. Guitar, so well, what's we, the no, lesson? Did, Ryan? Though, Todd, I don't know. I want to undermine myself. We okay, did talk about wow. Johnny. We did talk about Johnny. Well, but I, I don't think you can change the lesson. All right, okay. So that's the rule now. So we've we've okay. made an internal rule. If you say if you say forty minutes into a movie what the lesson is, you got you got to stick you, you got to stick, stick to your principles. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. All right. So what's the lesson, Ryan? <laughs> the lesson is watch Johnny Guitar. Uh, there we go. Okay. <laughs> Over now. Over now, Todd. 